This is Mackenzie Milton. This is Steve Levy from ESPN. And you're listening to One Night Stand. And you're listening to One Night Stand. One Night Stand. Hey, c'est condition ça qui t'est passé. Just One Night Stand. Avant toute bagaille t'est commencé. One Night Stand. This is One Night Stand. What up, Night fans? It's Monday, September 27th. On today's show, we recap the blowout win versus ECU and the official start of the DG4 Heisman campaign. Go over all the upsets in the college football landscape. Complain about the rankings. Um, Also talk a little bit about UF's athletic director, Scott Strickland, just started randomly replying to UCF fans on Twitter. We have Meanwhile to the West. I think UCF just jumped off sides again. And like always, Money Moves Picks, Moves Mailbag. Speaking of, I'm here with... Money Moo UCF came into Greenville as 28-point favorites, but got off to a slow start of false starts and only led by a field goal after the first quarter. Heisman hopeful Dylan Gabriel came to life and completed a school record 18 straight and another 400-yard, four-touchdown performance in a route of East Carolina, 51-28. to So, Dylan is incredible. Back-to-back 400-yard games, first time in school history. Uh, unfortunately, with the shortened schedule, he won't get the chance to break a bunch of the records that he probably would have with the full 12-game schedule. But, it, you know, it is what it is. He's playing really well. We got to start the Heisman campaign, like right now. He is fourth in the NCAA in passing yards, but the guys in front of him have all played extra games. The guy in first has played four games, actually. And he's second in passing touchdowns behind uh, Sam Ellinger, uh, the Texas quarterback, who was in that like 62-52 to shootout. Meanwhile, Dylan gets pulled, you know, in the fourth quarter every game. Um, but yeah, I think we really need to start making some noise on the Heisman push. What did you think about his play? I think it was up to the hype that we've had for the whole off season. You know, this was supposed to be his breakout year, even though, I mean, last year was, I'd take last year all day. The Stanford um, game where, yeah. <laughs> but, um, you know, a lot of people said that the transition from freshman to sophomore year, such as in KZ's case, was a big jump. So I think everybody was hoping for the same jump, and it's coming through. It usually is when you get a full offseason as a starter under your belt. You've been through the freshman year and mistakes and all that, and you know what you're expecting coming into year two. It happens in the NFL, too, with a lot of guys. Um, let's talk about the complete meltdown in the beginning. Because I think we all lost our minds there for about 30 minutes or so, even after scoring the touchdown. And then you look back at it. I mean, yeah, it's a lot of penalties, but clearly we were a better team than ECU. But I think, uh, I don't know about you, I I was like losing my mind. (laughs) Well, I thought my dog like sat on the remote and it rewound like a couple seconds. (laughs) Because literally the same exact thing. You know, four plays in a row. Mike Golick was going nuts. You know, yeah. I've never seen this before in my life. <laughs> but yeah, it, we had one bad quarter and everyone loses their minds. Yeah. And you know, when, so no one was at the game. So this was probably the biggest game for like social media presence for everyone. No one was at the game. Everyone was on their phones. And like my whole timeline was just like, 
After the second one, I was like losing my shit. I'm like, there's no fans. How are they getting a crowd assist? And then after the fourth one, it was like losing my mind. And then it was funny because we scored a touchdown and Dylan ended up with 100 passing yards on that drive, even though we started from the 25. We had some more penalties later, but like you said, we cleared it up and pretty much just crushed them. Especially, I mean, in the second half, we came out and scored like three times straight. And then, yeah, even even having a first and 30, you know, two plays later, we got a first, first down. down. <laughs> so I, I really wasn't worried more. I was just annoyed. Yeah, I think that's a good way to put it. And um, the receivers look great. Flash has stepped into the number two role very well. Marlon Williams, the clear number one. Um, he got robbed on that touchdown. I think that could have been like the catch of the year. Yeah, and they didn't oh, even yeah. give him a chance on replay, dude. The one-handed, like behind his body, contorted. Uh, yeah. I have a feeling there will be another one, maybe more. He seems to make pretty awesome catches every game. One thing I do worry about is he takes some hard hits. Yeah, hopefully he can I, say. You know, I was gonna bring that up a couple times. I saw. I was like, oh, he's kind of getting up slow. Or like, oh, he got flipped over and landed on his back. I think that's just how he is. Because he was started to get up slow, and then he would just jump up real quick. I don't know. Take your time. I don't know. I just thought he got banged up. I think the receivers played well. A lot of people were saying we dropped a lot of passes. I think we had a lot of good passes defended where our guy would catch it, and then the defender would swat it. I know that happened on a uh, touchdown with Marlon. I think it happened with a couple other guys, too. Flash, again, stepped up. Harris, uh, he can be so good at some sometimes. And then, like, sometimes it looks like he's just, like, tripping over himself. That, it, it does look like he's always falling. <laughs> and he's good. I'm, I'm not talking crap. I mean, and trust me, he's way better than, you know, most receivers in college football. But maybe it's just because he's so lanky. I don't know. It's got to be it. I don't know. Like, uh, right when you said that, I pictured in my mind, like, him <laughs> just falling over forward. Yeah. And he's, he made some incredible... I remember he made that, like, Willie Mays over-the-head catch, like, out of bounds last year uh, on a Dylan Rainbow pass. Yeah, other than that... Uh, How about the... turn? The uh, I'm not going to call them turnovers, because turnovers are when, like, the other team does something stupid and you just fall on the ball. These were takeaways, just like in the last game... This is all caused by our defense. Um, yeah, stripping the ball, hard Ant- hits. Antoine Collier putting his head right on the ball. We're going after the ball almost every play. Yeah. And uh or, seems to be working out. because We're punishing the guy with the ball. Plus seven in the turnover margin so far in the first two games. Definitely a good start. And I know there's there's some luck involved, but there's definitely some skill involved too, especially if you saw how we forced some of those turnovers. Um, kicking game. Obarski. Pretty solid. Yeah. You know, I had a nickname for Obarski last year. Out of bounds. Out of bounds, <laughs> Obarski. He I would... feel like every single game, there was at least one kickoff out of bounds. I'm like, he, he, how and, do you do that? And he's got a he's got a leg, too, because most of the time he'd kick it out of the end zone. But one time it would just go kind of rogue or something, and uh, it just sucks that the first two letters of his last name stand for out of bounds. But anyway, he redeemed himself. Three um, for three. Three for three, goals, yeah. you know? So uh, he's our kicker. One other thing. Well, all right. So let's talk about the uh, the spread. You said not to bet it. Correct. Uh, I didn't bet the spread. I took the under, which I'm like, there's no way they're going to get to 77. Of oh. course they did at the end. Of course they backdoor covered on anywhere that bet it. It of kind co- of happened exactly how I said it would. Yeah. 
they outscored us twenty-one to seven, I think, to finish the game. Yeah. Which when is, it really didn't matter. So, it, which is exactly what happened last year. Not just to ECU, but to a lot of different teams too. One so other, anyway, <laughs> one other little nugget. I saw this on the dungeon message boards. Um, we actually tired out a ref. I guess, and these are not my words. These are from the message boards. An air quotes chubby kind of ref. And he was having trouble keeping up with our pace of play. And apparently he just didn't come back out after halftime. And they replaced him <laughs> with another <laughs> with another ref. And someone, one of the parents, someone someone who was at the game actually confirmed it on the on the message boards. But I guess I never thought about that, but it does make sense. Like Well, I mean the ref the guys should- have to run. Yeah, they, they should they should be in shape though. Anyway, I mean, right. you know, like if you're the back, I couldn't I couldn't do it. I mean, if I did it, I would have to get in better shape. Probably, like I can run, but yeah. I don't have any stamina. Huh. <laughs> Just funny, yeah. Yeah, I'm gonna talk for two seconds about the ending of the game. Got some second stringer younger guys in Quadri Jones. Oh yeah, was good, able to come in. Good to get him some um, reps. Very very important. No passing attempts, which is kind of good, keeping his perfect. Uh, passer rating yeah, it's intact. Like 600 or something. Um, you know, he was in there for just to get some snaps and not turn the ball over. And turns out it's exactly what he did. Just getting getting game reps. Game experience is important, definitely. And then uh, had an electrifying run by Johnny Rockets Richardson. I love that nickname. Great milkshakes, by the way. We got we to gotta make, give that milk, uh, give that milkshake. <laughs> we got to give that nickname some legs and get it going. Johnny here. Rockets, baby. Johnny Rockets. That's the perfect nickname for him. And when he came, when he ran that touchdown, Twitter like exploded. So he's he's no longer a sleeper type running back. This guy's gonna be good looking forward. And now I feel comfortable, you know, with Otis leaving. When Bentavius leaves, next man up. Always got good talent on the skill positions. Okay, so the polls. We moved up to number eleven in the AP poll, two spots. And to 13 in the coaches poll, one of only five teams to move up. Memphis dropped all the way to number 25. They've been dealing with these cancellations. Hopefully they hang in there. The big game we all had our eyes on was number 14, Cincy, versus uh, number 22, Army. They beat them 24 to 10, but dropped to number 15. And they didn't look that good. Ritter couldn't throw the ball. Oh, his, you don't say. If his life depended on it. I mean, honestly, I think we're going to blow him out like we did two years ago. But for our sake, we have to hope they keep winning because that's potentially a top 10 matchup on November 21st in the bounce house. First time ever top 10 matchup in the bounce house. Just saying. Could be. Could yeah. be. Uh, the rest of college football, there was a bunch of upsets. Number three, Oklahoma lost. Number six, LSU lost. To unranked Mississippi State, who had KJ Costello at quarterback. You remember him? He was the quarterback of Stanford last year, who we beat by like 50. And then um, he drops like 700 passing yards on LSU. <laughs> on LSU. <laughs> Number eight, Texas almost lost. I don't know how they came back from down 15 with three minutes. Scored, got the onside. Scored again, got the two point, and then won in overtime. Uh, that was nuts. And then number 12, Miami absolutely obliterated FSU. Oh, why is, what's his name? The quarterback? James Blackman. Why is Blackman still quarterback? I have no Dude, idea. He just gets the ball and then they have no line. So he's, he just runs backwards and then takes a sack or fumbles it. 
That happened like probably it's ten so times. So bad, so bad that I had one one of my good friends this is a huge FSU fan, FSU alum. He texted me a screenshot of his bet on Miami. Oh dang! <laughs> I'm like, you sold your soul for fifty bucks betting against your own team. Yeah, and uh, I when we were anyway, zero twelve, couldn't have been more right. When we were no, when when we were zero and twelve one year, or the year we were zero and twelve, I'd bet on us every single game, lost, and then finally I was like, you know what, I'll just take the other team. And then we we lost on some stupid like kneel down or something, and we actually covered the spread. I'm like, that's the last time I'm betting against UCF. Um, so yeah, Miami. I don't know. I don't think they're really good. They're one spot ahead of us in the poll. Is the U back? No. Yeah, they're. I think they're garbage. And they too. haven't played anybody. Yeah, they beat Louisville and FSU. What else? Oh, the Gators, number five. They look good. They put up some points. But the bigger story out of this is the Scott Strickland tweets. Did you see those? I did. He randomly started replying to UCF fans, which is something my AD wouldn't do, for one. But two, it was interesting because, you know, the whole thing had been it wasn't a two for one. It was a 2-0 in neutral site. And he's saying that it was a real two for one. I mean, look, it's water under the bridge. It doesn't really matter. But it's just interesting that he decided to address this, which leads me to this question. Would you take a two for one with UF? Nope. All right. Danny White with the answer. <laughs> that was a McCray answer. <laughs> one word. Um, uh, no, I just wouldn't because I don't think it would change anything. I still am with Danny on this, that we need one-for-ones. We are at the big boys' table. Um, you know, we're the 11th best team in the nation. We we don't need to be taking these shit deals like USF. Exactly. USF. We're not USF. We, yeah, exactly. we don't need to build up our program. Our program is now. We're here. We're on, you know, exactly. getting on ABC over the, over the Gators being on ESPN. That's huge. That is huge. And not only that, too, look at the teams that Florida's taking one-and-ones with. Colorado. They're not exactly scheduling, like, huge caliber yeah. schools. It's the It goes back to the original thing that nobody wants to play us, no matter what. And I agree. Why would you? Why would any school want to play us? The whole thing with, like, getting into the playoffs is, oh, are you undefeated? And if you're a Power Five and you're undefeated, you're basically automatically going to go. Yeah, that's it. That's it, and that's all. And we did that twice and didn't get higher than rank number eight. So you're risking everything to win nothing for a Power 5 team, and it just doesn't make any sense for them. Yeah, pretty much. Um, so yeah, the, it's still out there, one for one. I don't really think it's going to change until we get into another conference or... You know, it becomes the power six or... Exactly. And here's the thing. If we didn't have any teams doing home and homes with us, then I guess I'd be like, yeah, but we do. We're okay. They're not the best schools, but there's something. Our schedule's fine. We're not going to bend over and take a shit deal. And you know what? UF didn't want to play us in the Peach Bowl. Let's talk about that. Yeah. The other thing, too, is that Cincinnati and Memphis are in that building stage, so... You know, if Cincinnati and Memphis could take these crappy two-for-one deals, it makes their brand better. Then all of a sudden, we have three powerhouses in the AAC, and if we play Cincinnati and Memphis it in the us. year, yeah. 
probably one of them we're going to play twice. And they're going to be ranked and stuff, right. too. So, yeah, no, it's a, we're, we're fine. We are fine. Our conference is finally getting the recognition it deserves, and that's all that matters. We don't have to take crap deals like USF. Speaking of USF, well, meanwhile to the West, uh, game postponed due to COVID. Probably, <laughs> probably save them a loss to FAU, which would be embarrassing. Uh, so it's probably a good thing for them, to be honest. Um, coming up this week, we've got only two games between ranked opponents, Alabama and Texas A&M, and then the big one, number seven, Auburn, at number four, Georgia. Now, what's interesting in the rankings this week is that the teams that lost, number three, Oklahoma, went from three to 18. Number six, LSU, dropped to 20. Normally, they don't drop that much. No. Not even close. Even, yeah, even but though they it's did early both in... lose to unranked teams. I know, but it's so early in the season. It's like who both even... is like massive double-digit favorites. But we haven't even seen these teams play. Maybe those teams are actually good. Anyway, it's a good sign. So hopefully, the loser of this game falls behind us. Maybe we get another. I'm sure Miami will lose eventually. We're a top ten team here in like a week or two. Just Sam. Next week, easy. Bada bing. I thought it was going to be this week, but then they had to add the stupid Big Ten. Big Ten. Yeah, so what, Penn State and Ohio State? I mean, Ohio State's fair. Yeah. They're going to be good. I actually kind of thought Wisconsin would be ahead of us just on nothing other than their name. Yeah. <laughs> it's I don't understand the point, though. They're not even playing for another month. Just more for us to complain about yeah. if we keep winning. and Yep. and Keep some... putting up 50 burgers on everybody. Yeah, exactly. Okay, let's move on. Let's talk about the Tulsa game. First home game. Uh, I'm going. I got a stadium club ticket. Night game, 7.30 kickoff. Hey, yep. Again, I went back through the game day website. It only says no tailgating in parking lots. Do you have any idea? Well, now that DeSantis has moved into phase three of Florida reopening, I guess bars are back to 100% capacity. Oh, yeah. So, sounds like a bar pregame. I don't know, is uh, Burger U or... I'm sure Burger U would be open. I yeah. mean, they've been hurting, obviously, through all this. Every, every establishment has been. Can we just, I don't know, like, sit on, like, hang out on memory lawn and drink or... That is the definition of tailgating. It doesn't say no tailgating. It says no tailgating in parking lots. I don't know. Try it. What's the worst they can say? I, well, I've got my own plan. But I'm not, I can't say it because then other people will do it. So I'll just leave All it right. at that. I've got a plan. Are you going to the game? I haven't decided yet. Okay. If you want to drive up, I might drive up. No, I'll probably drive up Friday. I don't want to like catch COVID downtown, though. <laughs> if you've seen people's videos and stuff, everywhere's packed. And I know I'm going to go out if I'm there. So yeah. I don't know. We'll see. To be determined. Um... What are you looking forward to? What do you think about Tulsa revenge game from last year? Definite revenge game. Last year, we were 17-point favorites, lost by three. So That game. Here, we just like didn't do anything. Breaking the news. The line is now out for UCF versus Tulsa, and I have UCF at minus 20 and a half. Okay. And now, is this like the offshore line that always moves three points? Probably, or 
Uh, Probably it's, if it's the first one. It's possible. I, I don't know. So because the Tulsa or the um, the ECU one, the first reported one was like twenty one or twenty two, and then it instantly shot up to uh, to like four touchdowns. Well, twenty seven. If you follow me on Twitter at MoneyMooUCF, every week I post my projected betting lines for UCF versus their remaining opponents, and for this game, I only had UCF minus fifteen. Interesting. So maybe this seems this to be is, yeah maybe the sun way too high of of a spread for me to lay anything down on it. I don't know if it comes down. I don't know. I'm taking UCF first quarter at home. That was a lock all last year. Oh, true. I forgot about the yeah, home. Yeah, the, the home. The home. Home baby. first quarter home. Yeah, we'll just have to see. I don't know. I think our guys are gonna be pissed off about last year. At home, home opener, 25% crowd in the bounce house, maybe more. No, not this game. <laughs> but I think by Cincinnati, maybe we could do 33%. Yeah. As long I think as, it's possible. I mean, technically, we could just open the stadium up to capacity. Probably not the smartest thing to do. But somewhere in the middle. Technically, I think in phase three, you are allowed to. It you is just, just do whatever, yeah. Highly encouraged to reduce capacity or something yeah, like and that. And we're not going to open it up all the way. We probably won't even get to 50%. It's not worth the risk. You know, what I mean, if- Cincinnati maybe, but not Tulsa. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's what I'm saying. We'll, we'll, look, we'll see. Um, Cincinnati, open it up. The virus hasn't changed, though, is the thing. I know. I mean, it's I know. still there. I'm kidding around. Yeah, no, I know. I know. Um, so Tulsa, anyway, real quick. I don't need to go in depth in this stupid-ass team. Biggest thing is that their defense is pretty good. They held Oklahoma State to only like 16 points. and um, Or did Oklahoma State just play terrible? Or maybe both. It might be a little bit of both. They did lose six of their top eight tacklers, so it's maybe the young guys getting in there. And uh, that same quarterback from last year, Zach Smith, and they had the same running back that I feel like they've had for like eight years, Shamari Brooks. He's still with them? Yes. <laughs> That's what I said about and, Memphis's it, kicker, who's yeah. still in the, from 2017. 39 or yeah. whatever. So anyway, I think we're going to drub these fools. Yeah, I'm not worried about it. I think we win by four touchdowns, honestly. But it's always that backdoor cover you got to worry about. But you know what? We just got to go 1-0. Then after that, we've got a bye week, and then the big away game at Memphis. So I was going through my emails trying to figure out their season ticket thing. So unorganized, and I get it, because their ordinances are changing a lot there, and they went from an eight feet to a twelve feet rule, and they're having to adjust on the fly. Yeah, that'll but that'll do it. The last email I got that I missed was, it's like, hey, thank you for donating your season ticket money. I'm like, whoa, no, no, no! I picked the one game, so I emailed them on Thursday, and this guy's like, oh, I'm working remote, but I can't get can't get logged on or something on my computer. And then Brett McMurphy later that day tweeted that they laid off 20% of their athletic staff. So I don't even know. I, I, I probably am not even going to go to that game. What? It just, I don't even know if I have a ticket. I need well, you bu- better get on it. The game's in a few weeks. I literally talked to Memphis and they're like, we can't even talk to you till Monday. It's All like, right, so we'll figure it out on Monday. The flights are going up. Oh, there's oh. so I can get up there for thirty five bucks on Allegiant, but it's a Friday seven a.m. flight. 
So I'm stuck there all Friday. Uh, casino. Now, at Beale Street. I don't want to be in Me- I'm actually busy with work now. I don't want to be stuck in Memphis for more than like a day. Oh, so just don't go then. It would be fun yeah. though. <laughs> we'll see. So, yeah. Uh, Tulsa, then a bye week. Then Memphis. Again, Tulsa game, 7.30 kickoff. Night game, ESPN 2, I believe. Uh, all right. Since we're talking about conference rivals, let's get into our interview with C. Austin Cox, he's the host of the AAC Daily and probably the best expert on everything American Conference. Let's do it. Okay, guys, we're joined here today by a huge ally and advocate of the American Athletic Conference. His name is C. Austin Cox. He's the host of the AAC Daily Show. It's a great show to listen to every day. It's super informative. And it really helps me keep up with what's going on in the AAC. How you doing? And thanks for joining. Hey, I'm doing great. And thanks for having me on, man. We really appreciate it. Um, for those of you that don't listen to him, probably seen some of his memes or just general defense of the American Conference on Twitter. That's kind of how I was introduced to him. So definitely give him a follow at C. Austin Cox. Um, so with that, so can you tell us a little bit about your background and how you started covering the American conference? Uh, yeah, uh, it, it started out pretty crazy. I, uh, I came over to sports from, uh, video game journalism, uh, in general, just, you know, doing the old school covering video games, mostly just to get them for free because the paychecks weren't that good. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> when I came over to, uh, sports, uh, you got, you got a choice where you can work your way up through high school, covering high school, uh, every Friday night and that just didn't seem that good to me so i thankfully got picked up by a startup to uh do the big 12 at the time and this is 2009 and that startup's long gone they spent all their money i ended up getting picked up by another and uh long story short i came across the american uh pretty close to it to when it was kicking off uh even though as a cincinnati alum a lot of people think that i was probably covering or, or staying close to the league Unfortunately, you know, if it wasn't my job, uh, I really wasn't following it at the time. And I come across the AAC when that whole expansion situation happened about 2016. And I started following these teams. And I'm like, this is a wild league. I mean, why is nobody else covering it? It's not getting any attention on the national level. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you're, you're seeing what UCF does, what Houston had done the, the year prior to, to me coming over here. And I was just in awe of this league and wanted to give it representation uh, for the most part. And thankfully, the fans have been very receptive. Yeah, well, I think the American definitely got lost in the shuffle with, you know, half of the old Big East leaving for uh, the conferences that ended up being the P5. And there was definitely a void left behind from the remaining teams that joined with the CUSA teams to become the American Conference. And uh, there was definitely a void left. I'm glad you filled that. Uh, you do a really good job covering the conference. And I actually didn't even know until today uh, that you were a Cincy guy. Uh, so way to stay neutral. Yeah, let me tell you, the, the Cincinnati fans do not appreciate that very much, considering, you know, like everybody, they feel like they don't get enough representation. So, so to have one of their own uh, cover the entire league and maybe not throw them enough bones kind of ticks them off sometimes. Well, I think that's actually a sign that you're good at your job. Uh, for example, if you look at Kirk Herbstreit, all the Ohio State fans hate him, and he's one of the best in the business. So I think that's definitely a compliment. Absolutely. Well, I, I hope that's what the case is. <laughs> <laughs> all 
So speaking of Cincy, they're coming off a huge win against who everyone thought was a good Army team. I think Ritter had an okay game. Uh, He had two touchdowns and a pick. Seemed to be a little off target at times, though. What's your overall feeling about his performance and I guess kind of the outlook on Cincinnati as a whole for this season? Well, you know, I was really surprised. I was expecting Ritter to uh, be coming along a little bit faster, had high expectations for him. Uh, but, of course, he gets a lot of his work done uh, on the ground now, it feels like. And thankfully, he's got that great running back group. Everybody thought that Cincinnati would be in big trouble. Of course, with Michael Warren the third leaving, uh, huge talent there going to the NFL. But uh, Dokes has really picked things up and, and really stepped into his shoes. As far as Cincinnati goes going forward, uh, you got to feel good if you're a Bearcats fan, uh, especially, I would say, you got to feel good if you're an AAC fan because that top half of this league is all going to clash into each other at some point, and whoever's standing up on top is going to be really helped out by the success that these other teams are having right now. Right, and, you know, looking down the schedule, uh, it looks like, you know, if Cincinnati runs the table, we're looking at a top-10 matchup in the bounce house. Uh, you going to try and be there? You know, if they are allowing us to, I, I will. There's been a lot of limitations, of course, as you well know, uh, not just for fans, but as the media, for the media as well. And, uh, of course, safety concerns are, are paramount right now, but you don't get the same feeling watching these games from home, no matter how convenient it might be, uh, as you do when maybe the, uh, the crowds are jumping up and down, those press boxes start shaking, which you guys certainly know at UCF what I'm talking about there. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, the home field advantage was a big factor in our loss at Cincinnati last year, and it was a huge factor in our win versus them two years ago. So it'll be interesting to see what kind of effect that has. But in order to get to that game, Cincinnati has to go through uh, currently ranked number 25 Memphis. They play them at home. Memphis, uh, I know it's a small sample size. They've only played one game this year. They've got a new head coach, and they've lost uh, Kenneth Gainwell. What are your overall thoughts, I guess, on this Memphis team this year? Well, I feel like with Memphis, uh, you know, we always look at that offense for the past several seasons uh, when Norvell was there at the helm, and we would think they won't miss a beat on offense. And I feel like that still might be the case, but so much weighs on the shoulders of quarterback Brady White going into his final season there in Bluff City you know, there's a lot of expectations around him, and there have been for several years, dating back to when he was at Arizona State. So, you know, you got to feel like that pressure might be mounting on him to uh, maybe make the right decisions a little bit more this year. He's been pressured a lot in the past. For for Memphis to succeed, Brady White has to make the right choices, and I have a I have a few more questions about Brady White than I think a lot of the other analysts do. That's uh that's a good point, you know. And as a UCF fan, we're very familiar with Brady White. Uh, he's been good at times, and he's been not so good at times. And then there's the loss of Kenneth Gainwell. Um, you know, and Memphis has never had a hard time filling in, uh, you know, next man up at running back. But uh, what what are they looking at like, at that position? Yeah, looking at Memphis, I know that they had a, a pretty deep running back core of backups there, but they've been uh, cycling through a lot of talent the past few years. I don't have all their names off the top of my head, but uh, if Patrick Taylor is possibly still there, he has to be in like his sixth or seventh year, it feels like. I didn't even know he was still there. I thought he was gone. Yeah, I I would think he might be, he might not be. I know he gets getting those uh, medical red shirts and extensions, Uh, but looking at Memphis, whoever they have there, you know, they have big shoes to fill, but 
they have a lot of talent on that coaching staff as well, not just Ryan Silverfield. Uh, you know, a lot of former head coaching talent uh, with McIntyre there as well. Special teams coach was the uh, head coach for Ball State a couple seasons ago. That that I'd say that whole program is in very good hands, even with the coaching changeover and loss of talent. Right, and you know, I've said it from the start of the season. I thought Memphis uh, on the road was going to be by far our most difficult game, and I think it still will be. And so, you know, I try my hardest not to do this, but I know I do because I'm obviously heavily biased. But I know just in general, as fans, we tend to be either overcritical of certain things that our own teams do, but then at the same time, we completely ignore blatant weaknesses at the same time. Uh, After watching us for the first two games, I'd love to hear your perspective on our team overall. Uh, Maybe let's start with the good stuff. The good things uh, kind of surround the bad things. We've learned that UCF can dig itself out of a hole that it digs itself, unfortunately. (laughs) (laughs) But obviously on the good side of things, you got to look at Dylan Gabriel just in general. We're talking about a guy who's currently leading the American in yards per game. Of course, as you mentioned, we're dealing with very small sample sizes for, you know, player analytics, team analytics. But you're looking at a kid who's averaging over 400 yards a game uh, against a GT team that everybody thought was going to be more impressive because of the credit given to Florida State, like has happened every <laughs> single year. But, you know, you look at uh, the talent that you guys have there at UCF, and I, I'm just – I've watched the Knights this season, yes, I am stuttering, folks, because I, I'm thinking that UCF, it's the one to watch this year because every show that I've been doing here lately, I got to say UCF, Cincinnati, Memphis, it's a three horse race. And then I got to mention all the dark horses. The reality is I'm looking at the numbers and it's, it's UCF in a runaway right now. And I can't see anybody stopping them. Right. Just hopefully, like you said, we don't beat ourselves because that's, you know, kind of been our issue last year, three road losses by a combined seven points. You know, if it wasn't for that, uh, we'd be having a whole different conversation right now. But it is what it is. And, you know, I think you're right. We just we just have to make sure not to beat ourselves. I mean, anyone that watched the ECU game knows exactly what we're talking about. Um, Okay, so I know you kind of just talked about this a little bit with the three headed monster we have going on. But is there any kind of sleeper team that maybe we should worry about that could mess one of us up for maybe a game? You know, I always come back to him and I feel like as long as. Uh, this coach that I'm about to name is there with that program. I'm going to keep thinking of them. The the Tulane Green Wave, it it feels almost insulting to say that they're a dark horse or a potential sleeper to kind of disrupt the system here in the American. But you look at what they've done back-to-back bowl eligible season, back-to-back bowl wins, excuse me. You know, that's not something that happens at a school or a program like Tulane. And Willie Fritz has them looking great. Now, Whatever the heck happened in that second half against Navy, you know, just like the Green Wave, I'm trying to block that out. But I look at Tulane, and they're definitely my dark horse sleeper that can really disrupt things this season. Yeah, and that's uh, kind of the feeling I was getting there last year, too. You know, to not just make two consecutive bowl games, but to win two consecutive bowl games. You know, for those of you not familiar with Tulane football, I mean, it's kind of always been a joke. So they're definitely on the up and up. Okay, last thing here real quick. Let's talk a little bit about the conference championship game. We haven't talked about it on our show that much. Obviously, with UConn leaving, they got rid of the division, so we're all just kind of lumped together in one division. 
that, that is the new system, and it's uh, it's not one that I've ever been a fan of because I spent the past four years making fun of the Big Twelve for doing this exact thing, and that is what we are doing. <laughs> That's a great example. Yeah, uh, can you explain a little bit how the tiebreaker works? I honestly not sure. Yeah, basically, it's going to go down to uh, your your first rule is the top two teams with the best records in conference play, and then. It'll go down to uh, the tiebreaker will be if uh, you have, say, uh, three teams that are all up there eligible for the for the conference championship game. It would go by the national rankings. In this case, the college football playoff ranking. The two highest ranked teams would then meet in the conference championship game. And from there, it would go to common opponents. Gotcha. Well, hopefully we run the table and don't end up having to know the tiebreaker rules. Uh so I guess, is there anything else you want to add in about the conference this year, just in general, overall? Uh, you know what? I just want to say that uh, I think the American Athletic Conference, how it how it has uh, continued to impress me, uh, is the same situation with UCF. Uh, the amazing things that UCF has done since joining this conference, it makes me wish that I was following you guys a little bit earlier because it's phenomenal to see a program go from uh, conference USA, well, go from uh, FCS to FBS, the Conference USA to here in the American with the Fiesta Bowl wins, the Peach Bowl wins. It's great to have UCF as part of this conference because, simply put, it makes my job easier because there's always something positive to talk about. <laughs> it's definitely been fun as a UCF fan. I'm sure it's been awesome for you covering it this whole time as well. At the same time, the conference in general has gone from, you know, the last three, four years, going from maybe having one team ranked in the preseason to now three ranked in the top 15. It's awesome to see us finally getting the respect we deserve uh, as a conference as a whole. I think the only thing, you know, and we talked about this earlier on the show, the only thing holding us back really is the TV money and the automatic MY6 bid. If it wasn't for that, I think our conference would be great and I, I wouldn't want to go anywhere else. I, I think that's the same situation and same sentiment or feeling uh, throughout the American Athletic Conference because... I think a lot of these schools, they feel comfortable with the partners that are here in the league with them. A lot of like-minded uh, schools and athletic departments that, that just work well together. But, yeah, that money and the, that AQ bid certainly are a big draw. And, it, you know, when you look at that, you can't help but want to jump at it. If the American had that, and let's be real here, if it ever is to get something like that, we're talking about another five years. You know, if it ever were to have that, I'm sure a lot of members would be very happy to be a, be a part of this league. Yep, I uh, I definitely agree. Um, okay, last thing real quick before we let you go. Do you have any news on what's going on with the upcoming college basketball season? Well, all we're doing right now is uh, as we're watching a lot of uh, leagues, conferences, uh, teams, and regular season tournaments, uh, like your Maui Invitationals or your Paradise Jams. They're kind of scrambling right now to figure out where they're going to host their events. We found out that uh, South Dakota will be the host of Paradise Jam, which, you know, kind of seems a little odd. But in these new times with coronavirus, we all have to make uh, concessions. And a lot of these teams are going to be doing that. So we're waiting to see how these regular season tournaments are slotted and where they're placed. And then we'll figure out how the regular season kind of works out around that. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, it's definitely nice to hear any kind of talk about basketball at this point you know I really feel terrible um for the seniors from last year and it really just stinks how that ended but it's good to hear that there's you know plans in place and uh you know wheels in motion for the 2020 to 2021 season 
Hey, thanks so much again for joining our show. Uh, like I said, follow him on Twitter at C Austin Cox and listen to the AAC Daily Show. Awesome show. Hey, thanks again. We really appreciate it. Hey, it was my pleasure being on here, man, and charge on. All right, thanks, man. Go Nets. And we're back. Let's do a little Built by UCF update, then Money Moves Picks and Moves Mailbag, and we'll send you on your way. Built by UCF update. Gabe Davis. Dude, he's getting more and more playing time each game. He was almost always on the field whenever they cut over to the Bills game on Red Zone today. Four catches, four targets, 81 yards, and the game, he drew the game-winning pass interference on fourth down to like get them to play that scored the touchdown. I guess I wasn't game winning but game saving pass interference and yeah he looked good he also had a nice block on a touchdown run too we have matt prater kick his 16th game winning field goal in his career today that's gotta be a record i'm probably not (laughs) i don't know there's a lot of good kickers out there anyway it was good for him his first game winner since 2017 which i thought was strange um well well, then again the the lions Lions, aren't really winning a whole lot of games so uh, that kicked me out of Survivor, a two-strike Survivor League in the third week. Way to go, me. Way to go, Moo. Uh, also, we just, as we're taping this, we just finished watching the Cowboys-Seahawks game. Shaquille Griffin had an interception. Tristan Hill, uh, he's had a really, really good start to this season, and they were giving him a lot of praise. Had kind of a bad penalty, the helmet-to-helmet hit. But, you know, it's tough. It's a bang-bang play. You're running full speed at a guy like you normally would. You just got to put your head down a little bit. It wasn't a late hit or anything. It was just the fact that it was helmet-to-helmet. But it Um, ended up not mattering because Dak Prescott threw the game-losing interception into the end zone. Oh, yeah. That was on on a two-point conversion. It didn't matter anyway. It didn't really matter. Okay. And then we got Traquan Smith, who... We don't have the game on, but it's, it's actually right behind you. Oh, well, I can't turn around. Ho! Oh! Uh, Saints are up seven. Are you doing anything yet? No, right. uh, Kamara had to touch on. But no, going back to the game, though, Shaquem Griffin was playing like an animal toward the end. He had a good pass breakup on Zeke Elliott and then was in on another play after that toward the end, too. Shaquem was just promoted from the practice squad this week. As you know, he got cut and then signed to the practice squad at the end of training camp. He's on the 53, man. And not only that, He's getting playing time toward the end here when they're in, you know, four or five receiver sets. He was kind of spying on Dak and guarding the running back, too. And he did really, really well at it. So good for him. Good to see him playing. All right. Time for our favorite segment. Money moves. Picks of the week. One, one, and one last week. First pick we had last week was Kansas State plus 28 and a half. Easy winner, outright upset. That was, that was a hell of a pick by me. Didn't we talk about doing a triple money line? Oh, I guess it wouldn't have won, We though. did, but it didn't matter. So anyway, that was the winner. The loser, TCU plus two. Horrible, horrible loss at the end. They were down nine, like five seconds left. Throw a 40-yard bomb for the touchdown, right? So they're down three. Okay. You would think, kick the extra point to give me a push? No. Apparently, you can elect whether or not to kick the extra point because it didn't matter anyway. And, and they just didn't. They just didn't. And everyone ran on the field, and that was it. And I lost. So you would have <laughs> pushed that then. Yeah. Uh, so that was terrible. 
Um, See, almost one zero and two, and then Army was winning for a decent bit of the game, or was in it and covering for a decent bit of the game until the very end. Cincinnati they scored like six minutes left, and then that was it. Right. So we pushed on that plus fourteen, but I have a feeling that most of you lost because the line went all the way down to like plus eleven. I saw twelve when I was looking at it. <sighs> Got to get those bets in early. So anyway, so speaking- one, one, two, and one on the season, and um, not terrible. A C- couple close loss. Well, one close loss, one absolute <laughs> blowout. But you know what? It's a win. It's a loss. It doesn't matter what the score is. So so on right. to the next week. All right, what do we got this week? Some off-the-radar picks this week. I'm always searching for value for everyone. And one run back. First pick, we're going to take Virginia, the Cavaliers, plus 28.5 at Clemson. Clemson's biggest test so far. Not really saying much, though. (laughs) Got backdoored by Wake Forest in week one. Uh, plus, I just hit with a 28.5-point underdog last week in Kansas State, so how could I lose? Yeah, that's true. Didn't Week 2, the Citadel, wasn't the spread 49, and it was like 49 nothing at halftime, I'm pretty sure, and then they didn't score another point? Ah, yes. Yeah. So this is a true backdoor game. Right. Clemson, also looking ahead to a showdown with all of a sudden good again Miami next week. Yeah, right. <laughs> I can't Virginia, wait to watch whooped. Virginia did have a nice comeback win versus Duke behind the skills of junior running back Wayne Talapapa and had seven takeaways in the game. I'll say it again because it worked last week. Virginia has no shot at winning, but take the points and hold on. Okay, I like it. What do you got next? Up next, it's our run back game of the week. We're going to roll the dice again with Kansas State. Minus 1.5 versus Texas Tech. I don't know what the hell either of these teams are. Texas Tech squeaked by Houston Baptist by two points. Garbage time, albeit, but they had to stop a game-tying two-point conversion just to hold them off. And then they almost beat Texas. They should have beat Texas. Kansas State gets whooped by Arkansas State as a double-digit favorite. Then beats Oklahoma as a four-touchdown underdog. Ah, makes no sense. So which team will show up? My bet is on Kansas State. Same thing I said last week, and it came true. Solid run game and ball control. They were able to suppress Oklahoma quarterback Spencer Rattler, so what makes you think they can't stop Alan Bowman? (laughs) I can see where someone would say Kansas State off a high and Texas Tech hungry for more. But I say the opposite, the contrarian view. A crushing defeat for Texas Tech and confidence booster for the Wildcats. Roll again with Kansas State. Yeah, I mean, I tend to agree with you. After a demoralizing comeback loss like that, I don't really know how you can come back. Uh, It's hard to get up. And Kansas State, you know, they're riding off a high. I mean, they think they're bigger than the world right now. Just beat number three Oklahoma. Probably for the first time in, I don't know. Got to be at least like 20 years, I would say. Um, well, actually, it was last year. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So for the second time in a row, they beat This Oklahoma. is a college football podcast, ladies and gentlemen. We're not a Big 12 podcast. <laughs> uh, <laughs> All right. So what's up for your third pick? All right. The third and final pick. Not saying you have to actually watch the game because I will not be tuning into this one. Western Kentucky 
minus seven at Middle Tennessee. Battle of the Ophers here. Ophir two, Western Kentucky versus own three, Middle Tennessee. Western Kentucky has played some good teams, though. They fought hard against Louisville and barely lost to a surprising 3-0 Liberty team. Western Kentucky's leading passer and rusher, Tyrell Pigrome, should handle the Blue Raiders' defense with ease as he has yet to throw a pick in either of his first two games. Opposite problem for Middle Tennessee, as their quarterback, Asher O'Hara, has thrown five picks and is tied for third most in the country. You know who's most? Behind- Jeff Sims. Yeah. <laughs> Jeff Sims, Georgia Tech quarterback with eight somehow in three games. Anyway, Pretty terrible. Yeah. I just don't see how Middle Tennessee can keep up with the scoring as they only average 16.3 points per game. Take Western Kentucky minus seven. Bet on the Hilltoppers. Dang, 16 points per game average. We almost averaged that a quarter. That's 64 per game. We average 50 a game. That's I mean, in 2020 bad. in college, that's that's like FSU bad. <laughs> All right. I love it. All right. So uh, let's recap the three picks real quick. We got Virginia plus 28 and a half at Clemson. Kansas State minus 1.5 against Texas Tech. And Western Kentucky, the Hilltoppers, minus seven at Middle Tennessee. Let's get that money. All right, last up, we've got Moo's Mailbag, where we answer all of your questions live on the air. First up, we've got MD Knight 2016. If monetarily the AAC was equal to the middle of the P5, would you want to stay? Asking because the momentum behind the quality of the AAC is increasing, but the acceptance by those who matter to the sport isn't good question what do you think i mean yeah it basically all comes down to money right yeah money moo and (laughs) of course but i mean i don't dislike the conference that we're in the only reason why that i think we need to jump to a bigger conference is because of money it's because of the tv deals and it's and the automatic bull bid and the automatic bull bid that's, that's really it. I don't care what everybody else thinks about the AAC, in my opinion. We're the, like the, we're the Big East still without the name and the money and the automatic bid. That's what it comes down to. It, you're right. Totally. All right. Next question is from Golden Knight 2. Even though the defense is creating turnovers, do you think they're underperforming in a sense of quarterback pressure and middle of the field coverage? I feel they were getting beat a lot during the first two games. Uh, I mean, it's tough. You know, we were getting pressure great sometimes. Other times, he had all day, but we had good coverage, and he would end up scrambling. I mean, here's the thing. A mobile quarterback's going to be very hard to take down once he's out of the pocket. Like, you can't expect those guys to catch up to Holt Nailers. I mean, you saw him, dude. He squats cinder blocks. Like, that's a big guy. <laughs> no, but but seriously, though, he's going to be faster than them. That's normal. Um, There were some coverage breakdowns. I know, uh, I think number eight had some difficulty in the beginning. But, you know, these guys are new. And these are things that we're going to continue to improve on. And just like the penalties and stuff, too. These are things that's good to get out of our system, I think, early in the season. And hopefully we continue to progress. What do you think? I agree with you, too. Look, the only thing I didn't like is that why didn't we have, like, a spy on 
I know. ECU quarterback. Especially if like if you're not getting pressure. Oh, the one that was it was a third and twenty, and of course I, I know do a little scramble and if run down the field. If you're having trouble getting pressure, in my opinion, send one less you know rusher and have a more mobile linebacker spy the quarterback. And then at least he can't run the ball, or it's going to be more difficult to. I, I don't know. Again, you know, Randy Shannon makes a million dollars a year. He probably knows a little bit more about this than me, but I don't know. Just looking at it, it seems like that'd be a good idea. I don't know. And, you know, second half Randy came to play until all the starters were out. Then it kind of didn't matter. All right, next question from Lisa Benedetto. After scoring almost 50 points in the last two games, do any rem- remaining opponents make you nervous? Uh, I don't think nervous is the word. I think, um, I don't know, a little less than nervous. <laughs> I can't think of the right word. So I'm not nervous about any opponents. I know there's always a possibility we can beat ourselves. Right. It wasn't ECU. That's it was kind of what I was trying to say. Yeah. So not nervous. Uh there's no other team out there that we're supposed to play in the remaining schedule that scares me. Yeah, you know? not at all. Well, I mean, Memphis, especially after watching that Cincy game, like Memphis on no, the Memphis I'm not on the road. Cincy. But again, it would be due to our own right. I'm nervous about us falling flat, maybe on a road game. I mean, it, we did three times last year. Yeah. So definitely, that's what make that's what keeps me up at night, Lisa. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Next up. Next question is from Ryan Mullins. With the positive progression on KZ's recovery, do you guys expect to see a mix of DG and KZ throughout the middle to late stretch of the season? Also hope you and your families are safe during these times. Thanks, Ryan. Same to you. We're doing good. Uh, You know, despite everything, we've got football, so I can't complain. My family's happy, healthy. Uh, You know, wish the same to everyone else and anyone else listening. Whether you are or not, or aren't going through a hard time. Some people are, and this is our escape from it. So, you know, we joke around about a lot of stuff, but we do, you know, wish everyone well. That being said, uh, I mean, I don't expect, this is DG's team. He's got the keys to the car, but I think we'll see some KZ. I know we, I know he's going to take some snaps at USF. I know he is. I just he know has it. To. He has it's, to. He just has to. But unfortunately for him, I mean, DG is so good and so it happened so early too i mean we all watch his high school tapes first of all half the times kids just don't make the jump from high school to college there was always a chance of that happening second we didn't even think we were going to see him play last year we were talking about wimbush and mac going into the season yep i remember talking about not wanting to burn dg's red shirt so clearly it's his team and I mean, Casey will get in some, but its I don't think he's going to get that much meaningful playing time. Hopefully some, though. All right. Last up. Maybe not last, but next up. Todd Thrasher. Put your research team to work. When is the last time we kicked three-plus field goals in a game? You would think it's been a long time. I actually thought that. So what, when would we ever go for field goals? But Oh, trust me. I know. I was we there. We did put our research team together, and uh turns out it was last year against Cincinnati. Yeah, three freaking field goals. And uh, we also did it again in 2018 at ECU. We also attempted four field goals in the Peach Bowl 2017. Missed, or made two, missed one. I think it actually hit the upright, if I remember. 
It was close. And then one got blocked. And then two times in 2015, we kicked three field goals in losses. So not a very common occurrence, which is why you probably asked the question. Yeah. And I, I was surprised when I went back through the numbers and saw that we did it last year. I was at that game. And uh, yeah, that sucked. Maybe if we didn't kick field goals, we would have won. All right, this next question, actually, it's a statement from Todd Sopel. Let's go. <laughs> I'll bleep that out. All right. <laughs> LFG. Thank you, Todd. All right, uh, let's wrap this up. Tulsa game, 730. Very excited. Don't forget your mask when you go to oh, the game. Oh, dude, great, great call. Do not forget your mask. And honestly, maybe bring, like, more than one. Why? Well, just like mine broke when I was oh <laughs> at the Georgia Tech game, and I like couldn't do anything because I didn't have another one. I, that's why I wear a bandana, my handy dandy bandana. Sure. Yeah, so maybe bring an extra one just in case. Or um, if someone around you happens to forget one and they don't yeah. get let in or something, exactly, you save the day. Bada bing! Superhero, mooperhero. Uh, yeah, that's it. Can't wait to see everyone. Be safe. Wash your hands. Wear your mask. Go Knights. Charge on. Domination. Domination.